0: Welcome to Interviews 109. My guest is Gabriele Mussela, CEO and co-founder of CoinRule, a Y-combinator-backed startup, Batch S21, which was launched in December 2018 and is all about catching the next market opportunity on your behalf by automating your investments. With CoinRule, hobbyist investors like myself actually can compete with professional traders and hedge funds by creating automated strategies for crypto as well as stocks. Gabriele started in UX working at different banks and later developed into more entrepreneurial and management roles, working at companies like Nokia and Vodafone. He was able to raise 3.2 million dollars investment for CoinRule. Gabriele has also been a mentor at Google Launchpad, Ziliga, Tech Italia, Imperial, and is also a guest lecturer at ES, ESCP, ESAD, and the University of Palermo. A busy guy. Hello, Gabriele. Thank you for joining me from Italy.
1: Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, Ren.
0: So, like I was saying, you're kind of busy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I am. I like to keep myself busy,
0: <laughs> apparently. But tell us a little bit about your journey towards becoming an entrepreneur.
1: Oh, guys, that's like a long journey. Okay, uh, where to start? So, uh, I think the 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 startup bug was always uh, in my in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, even when I was working for a few banks, uh, you know, innovation labs in London, and then before that in Finland and in the US. I always said it's like always an entrepreneurial approach that I was not able to. Um, to, to kind of express to work in corporations, right? So I was always basically during the day nine to five, working in, 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 a, in, in a kind of capacity of a designer, UX designer. And then in the evening, I was having always my own team uh, trying to build some, some, some sort of product or finding some, some, some market that was interesting. And uh, so I had like a couple of uh, startups before this one. Uh, and um, and obviously they, they, those two failed. But I've always been mm. interested in the entrepreneurship since I was, I think, a kid. I mean, I remember when I was like eight or nine, I was buying second-hand motherboards. I was changing the battery and then reselling them like for you know, <laughs> 10x the price. So five euros <laughs> to 50 oh. euros. And then, you know, it was working. So I always had that type of entrepreneurial approach. So it's always been me. It's been always like really a part of my personality, probably because you know, i come from a family of entrepreneur or sme owners so probably that's why i always had mm. this idea that you can make your own your own job your own work you can create your own world around you and you know add add the value to society by having a small uh, kind of shop instead of just being a small wheel in a big machine
0: and uh, what brought you to create quenbro
1: that's a uh, so that's a story that started 2012 so i was at tmit i was working in a research lab and Obviously, all my colleagues, they were like scientists, uh, data scientists, very smart people. And they were really talking about this, this, uh, this cryptocurrency thing. And, uh, and that's when I bought my first Bitcoin in 2012. Mm. And then uh, I sold uh, two Bitcoins in, uh, after a few months. I made 6% return and I was very happy. Uh, we are talking about Bitcoin being at $400 each. And I remember with those money, I went to Bahamas for a weekend. Would <laughs> there, but I didn't regret uh, you know, selling those, those coins. But anyway, so uh, I remember I had Coinbase and then I went back uh, after a few years to check my account on Coinbase. I found I found the Ethereum. I started buying a lot and then I found myself in this big pump in 2016. So I've uh, always been working in, in the fintech space. So for me, uh, it's quite natural to, to build product a fintech product for, for normal people. That's always been my focus, the retail fintech side of, of, mm. of technology. And uh, so for me, it was pretty straightforward to 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 kind of merge the, the, the new cryptocurrency space, uh, all the you new, know, the DeFi, all the new things that were coming about with, uh, with, with a more kind of uh, classical fintech, um, fintech product development. And, and then, I mean, actually at the beginning, CoinRule was not supposed to be an automated trading platform, but it was supposed to be a portfolio management app with specific goals. So a little bit right. like an improved block, block folio, but then um, I'd like another needs that was its automation. And then that, that project morphed into, into coin rule. And I remember the first the, the, the first time I had the idea was literally at, um, at a Christmas party uh, where I was talking with a colleague and his strategy was on stocks uh, on IG index to buy every day the best coin for 24 hours. And then mm. the next day you will just sell it and buy again, sell it and buy again. And I was really, really impressed by, by this thing. It was very simple, but I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and in a bull market, this strategy actually works very well. So that night, after I went on, on IG Index myself, trying to build that script. And I'm not a good coder, so it was almost impossible to build something meaningful. And that's when I started sketching my first interface for, for a product that
0: then would be called CornRule. And then you joined the Y Combinator, and you're backed by the Wild Combinator. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Wild Combinator, maybe that's, that's, you know, the number one uh, accelerator in the world. What, what, what is it like to join them? What did they bring to you? Uh, I, I mean, to be completely honest, it, the experience was
1: amazing, but at the beginning, uh, we didn't want to join. And that's okay. because when they called us, we were already making something like 160K a month, uh, monthly recurring revenues. So as a startup, we were already at stage two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and obviously like, you know, there was a prefixed amount of equity they, they, they give you, there's a specific deal that they offer you. So it was really, uh, and, and also the program uh, was supposed to be face-to-face, but because of the, the, the pandemic, it was actually awfully remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually it was a really, a really conflicted decision. Uh, at the end we decided obviously to join, and I mean, the experience was amazing. Like it was like going back to uni for three months. Like every day we had like three, four hour workshops. We met the, you know, some of the founders like you know, from Airbnb, Stripe, mm. Coinbase. We got to mentor by all these like amazing founders and entrepreneurs. So it was really worth. And then um, what, what really teaches you, uh, it's actually the art of frugality. You know, it's very funny because obviously, mm. when we read TechCrunch, when we read like the magazines, uh, the tech magazine, you know, we see these, we, we hear about these huge fundraises, yeah. Series B, Series C. But actually, uh, you know, from a, from a seed stage startup, from seed stage to Series A, you really need to, uh, you know, be careful and actually check your budget and your financial and not spend all the money basically once, and also have like a lot of small experiments and there you know, are a lot a lot of, a lot of uh, things to take care of in small you know, in small scale. Uh, and that's what basically YC see well, kind of uh, first of all gave us a lot of confidence on some of the processes and decisions that we took. Uh, but also open us eyes on 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 you know how how you know Silicon Valley is like pumped, but also how these people are really hardworking founders. I mean, the guys from Stripe, they're super modest, super humble, they're amazing. Uh, you know, uh, hearing from Brian Chesky from Airbnb, uh, how was all the story? Uh, you know, during the COVID, when they had to fire seventy percent of their employees was like really heartbreaking, and you know, especially him is one of my. Or uh, my role model because he was a designer turned into an entrepreneur. So it was it was it was an amazing experience overall. And also, why um, Combinator is the ultimate fundraising hack? Mm-hmm. That's because on on demo day you literally you present for sixty seconds, one minute, but then you get bombarded by emails some investors that will you know, just you know uh, throw money at you. Actually, we had to I reject a lot of tickets. We got contacted by something like more than hundred twenty investors. Wow. Even from, from, by, you know, by buying us, that wanted to invest in us. But around was, uh, the, was really uh, crowded. Uh, you know, uh, we, we didn't want to accept any more money and dilute more. So we had to just accept some strategic investments. But uh, you know, also like some of the YC company, when they start another company, some of our YC founders, they go back to the same accelerator because it's just so easy to fundraise. So that is really a big, mm. a big uh, validation for your company.
0: So go back to the basic. I like, I like what you said about the art of frugality. I would say don't worship the money, because this is something <laughs> that I see. I see a lot about uh, among like startup funders. You know, they come, they go to this accelerator, and the only thing they think about is money, 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 and raise and raise money. And I, I like to hear you saying the opposite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally, totally. I mean, uh, yeah. Some some people think that we are conservative, that we are European, mm. um, but but actually, you know a startup works if it's sustainable, if it's, you know, you think about the long term and some of the startups are successful because they crunch through, uh, you know, bear markets and, you know, periods mm-hmm. that are not so, so bright. And that that's where we are at now at the moment, right? Now, thanks to our uh, kind of European approach, we have enough funding, enough revenues to actually go through all the bear markets for the next two, three years easily. And then, you know, maybe come out on the other side, where we are still alive and we will do the series A. So, and, and our approach is really like I think like me, my co-founders, we are really complementary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my co-founder is really about crunching and actually pushing and kind of uh, really being a constant machine, kind of you know creating value. Uh, I'm more like uh, on the creative side, more like thinking about new idea, new channels were to open and more like, you know, straightforward in terms of communication and also team management. Uh, and then we have Zanec that's kind of the strong, you know, uh, foundation is the tech co-founder that, um is there it's you know if the server is down is the one that wakes up at two o'clock at night and actually fix everything even if now we have a very good team of 11 engineers you know very senior people that we managed to to steal from the big corporations but right. uh, yeah nice. i mean the complement either the co-founders is very very important and it's the most difficult thing to find yeah, mm-hmm. you know it's i know it's kind of uh it's uh, it's underrated but finding a co-founder is like you know finding a, finding a wife basically it's the same type of oh I agree I agree and
0: usually it's a difference between like a success a success company and and not a successful company
1: I think that's the first um the first cause of, of, of failing for a startup first one is co-founder not getting along mm. second one is uh, the startup wants to scale too fast sometimes you don't consolidate your market your sector and you just want to create new products for different markets and a lot of people do that and, yeah. and that's what's right how, how did you find your co-founder? Uh, it's funny, we actually took part in, in, in an accelerator called Mass Challenge in, in London. Um, right. And we all, three of us, we had three different companies. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, teammates, uh, kind of colleagues at university. We were like, uh, uh, the three of us working on companies that were going nowhere. So at some point, uh, I think Oleg wanted to, has been, wanted to talk with me for like, I don't know, a few months, but I was always super stressed and busy. But mm-hmm. eventually we ended up having a coffee and I showed him the sketches he was also a lot into crypto um, and, and then we started and then we changed a couple of uh, CTOs, but then eventually Zenec, um actually joined.
0: Right. I've talked a lot on this podcast about, you know, the importance of, of finding the right co-founders and, you know, why mm-hmm. co-founders should complement themselves, etc. Even uh, soon there will be an, a new episode coming out where I interview like a husband and wife. Co founder, mm, <laughs> which, okay. that, yeah, which is intense. interesting. <laughs> intense, yes. <laughs> so I, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about, about that, although it's a very important topic. I, I'm interested in your experience with accelerators because I think, if I'm not mistaken, you went through like five of them.
1: Probably, yes. Yeah, I lost track. Yeah, what was fast forward, fast forward, mass challenge, Y Combinator, one at Berkeley. And saw something else probably as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, the for us, it was also a little bit of a, of a trick because when, when you don't have much funding and you need offices and support, you know, some of those accelerators, they don't ask for everything. So that was mm-hmm. the, the very good, um, also, I mean, to learn because obviously at the first shot, very few people, uh, they, are, they succeed with their first company, right? So you need to learn techniques, the methodology, basically the job, like a, a, any any other job. Right.
0: And so oh. so, so, how to make them the, 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 the best out of, those different, you know, accelerators and, and programs they offer and the mentors. I think, I think my, my approach is always,
1: uh, I mean, I'm a bit like, um, I, I don't have any like embarrassment in asking uh, for help. So mm. uh, in the accelerator, I was really taking advantage of all the mentors, uh, but, you know, being also very strict in asking the right question, because sometimes we got like, a, I don't know, a director of sales from, I don't know, Deloitte, uh, and they've been doing sales or, or, you know for their life and they want to consult you or advise you on, on product management, right? So you need to be very careful where do you take advice from. But I never, like, I never been ashamed of actually going and ask for help. Uh, even now, we reach out on LinkedIn to like, uh, you know, senior professionals and we ask them for like, you know, giving us, you know, one hour of their time. Obviously, now we pay. So it's good. So I think that accelerator for me was the same. First of all, you don't feel alone because you see other people in your situation because going from zero to one, uh, you know, as all of its uh, tell us, it's actually the most difficult part. Yeah. Uh, so once once you reach to uh, uh, something that resembles profitability, then the game changed totally changed. So mm. like, first of all, uh, you know, everyone around you thinks that you're not anymore a fool. You actually have a job. You're actually doing something. And secondly, you have funds funds to sustain yourself, and and also uh, you can you can actually grow the company. So now we have, for example, twenty two, right? And that's the perfect size because we, we are, you know, in terms of management, in terms of, of creating the culture is the right amount of people. But when you are from zero to five people is the most difficult part. And mm. it's very hard. So at that stage, having like peers in an accelerator, having people that understand that pain, you know, the pain that literally uh, you have in the stomach because you cannot go for lunch because you are busy in 25 meetings here in a day, that pain. You know, that's, you need to be a founder to understand that situations and that worries and that anxiety. So usually what I've seen in, in, in the founders, when they start or the first startup, the first one or two, one year, they're like a lot of anxiety. They're going to sleep at night. They think like, oh, why did I leave my job? Uh, my parents think like I'm like stupid. My, my friends, they don't talk to me anymore because, you know, I don't have anymore that yeah. cool job at Google or at Facebook. Then after one year, you start kind of balancing yourself, understand how to manage that anxiety. But still, you have a lot of problem about like, okay, you start to worry about the, the finances. And then the third year, the third year is then when you actually start feeling more comfortable and you embrace your status of entrepreneur. You're like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to do this for at least you know, a, a, a number of years or for a life. But this is who I am. I think that's come after the third year of you know getting into this the entrepreneurship status. I think for me it was... When I was in the U.S. in, 20, uh, in 2012, mm-hmm. 2012 at MIT, I was working in a research lab. I was a visiting scholar and a research specialist. That's where I understood that I want to be an entrepreneur in life forever. So it's not for me. It's not just like a matter of being a company, you know, doing a good exit, and then kind of sustain myself for life just with these funds. I will be always creating probably companies or funds or way to actually create a good startup ecosystem around the world. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that that that's what I embraced when I was there when that opportunity of being an entrepreneur was taken off from me because in the US, uh, obviously, I was uh, on a on a on a research visa, and I, 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 basically that's also why I came back to Europe because mm. I could not build companies there. Mm. Uh, I think that was the realization, and it took it take, took out at least one or two years to understand that.
0: Has the anxiety disappeared?
1: Uh, I mean, for myself, it's a bit different. I'm not really an anxious type. That's yeah. probably because I, I, you know I grew up in Italy. So I'm like really relaxed about <laughs> everything. So I, I have two goals in life: not to die and not to go to jail. These are the two goals. The rest, I, I expect anything to happen. So, so. <laughs> so what do you do? You, you eat pasta? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's actually it's very good because actually my co-founder are different types, and uh, you know it's kind of we complement each other very well. I try to calm them down sometimes, or they kind of you know ask me to be proactive some some other time. Uh, but I think yeah, trying. You know, trying to put stuff in perspective is yeah. very important because it's a marathon. You know, a company is going to be mm-hmm. there. The company is going to be there for ten years, and you're going to be able need to. You need to go to be, going to be able to push for like these ten years continuously. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it happens that the founder decides you know they want to sell because they don't have any more that stamina, and that's fair enough. You know, or maybe your kids. You know, the circumstances changes. It, it's okay. It's, it's fine. But, you know, it's a, lot, it's a, it's a long-term project. It's, it's, it's mm. long. So uh, you need to be prepared for that and not to be too anxious.
0: Yeah. Uh, like you said, entrepreneurship is a journey. You also said entrepreneurship is a calling. What does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur today? If you, if you think about, like, you know, a tribe, a community,
1: a, a network of people in a specific place, you know, you can call it city, region, countries, continent, whatever you want, political party. I think it's, like, elevated the welfare of the tribe. Um, mm. So when I, and that really uh, it's, it's a thought that came to me when I was uh, at uh, a Schindler Factory in Poland. You know, it was Schindler that uh, yeah. uh, you know saved tons of, of Jewish people during the World War, and that's what he was doing. It was basically at some point it was not doing anymore for profit. It was actually it was a social mission, and mm. that 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 small part of social mission it to be always uh, at the core of your business. So that because at the end of the day, you know, you know, we, we are we are mortal. You know, when you die, you, you, you will have a legacy. You want to live something, right? Uh, uh, for the future generations. And that could not just be uh, kind of financial values. It has to be also some, some more like, so, you know, value that in society has a different meaning and actually elevate ourselves. So for me, like solving a relevant current social problem uh, for, for a specific tribe, that, that's what the friendship means. And then, uh, you know, connected to that, there is all the the than practicalities. You know, it means also learning a lot about, like, how to take quick decisions without much data, you know, being comfortable with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, continuously doing risk assessment, basically, okay, what is more risky, these or that, and be comfortable with risk. And, and then kind of to the extreme that you can say, okay, if I do this, the company can blow up, and I go to work to McDonald's. But, yeah. you know, you need to be able always to assess where is the risk and be okay with, like, the outcome, you know, uh, with any outcome. Um, and, and also what, what I learned is that, um, connected to this, if you don't manage to, for example, to, to manage your, your, your problem solving, your decision-making and to improve your risk assessment skills, then you end up having some weaknesses in your management and those weaknesses that are connected to your personalities, it really, they really reflect in your company. You know, being a, being a, a CEO or a founder of a company, it's kind of being always with a microphone next to you whatever you say, even if it's minimal, it gets amplified. And other people in the company kind of tend to replicate that, that behavior. So you to be very, very careful, you know, especially when management comes in as well, uh, to you know, what, what you say and also what decision you take and also how do you communicate and explain the decision. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm, I'm also the product manager in the company. So sometimes when, when I have to explain why we have to do specific features instead of the others, I had to spend half an hour talking about business and giving the, the developers all the background. Otherwise, they don't just buy in and they just ask a yeah. the question. They, they, they drive me nuts. So yeah. I think there's like these practicalities. Um, th- these are like the the, the, the foundation of what, what then
0: entrepreneurship means to you. I love it, because this is this is all things that I that I believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like, you, you were talking about purpose at the beginning of the conversation of, of that discussion. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you said, you know, in different words. Uh you you talk about legacy. Uh yeah. and, now, and now you're you t- know you're talking about the fact that being an entrepreneur, uh, you know, there's no difference between you and your and your company. You know, when you strive, your company strive. When you're when when you're the bottleneck, yeah. and this is a good this is a good transition to my next question about, you know, because I help entrepreneurs not being the bottleneck in their businesses. So when you're the bottleneck, the company is stuck. Do you remember a time when when you were the bottleneck? A major bottleneck. Ah, I,
1: mean, I think I think every day I'm the bottleneck. <laughs> <laughs> That's my feeling. I mean, <laughs> now we we ask we, we we practice radical transparency in the company, and uh, we also ask always for feedback with the consent. So sometimes, well, so I always ask for feedback. I, mm-hmm. I, I you know ask sometimes to give feedback to people, and you know, ask because then to be in the right in the right mood to receive a feedback. So uh, because I always worried about being the obstacle, of the bottleneck, and actually. I, went, I, went, I took three days off last week, yeah. and I come back, the team, uh, you know, the, the, the completeness of the sprint was 83%, you know, the, the sprint was great, you know, it was actually very productive because I went away, so sometimes I, I really think that, uh, you know, uh, having more kind of an autonomous, independent structure in the team is very good, and and that comes with kind of the decentralizing the, the decisions, right? Um, you know, sometimes they wait for me for, like, some front-end questions, you know, but uh, the, the UI some other time you know the you know some people think that um, a specific you know business logic they're implementing some functionality need to be validated. but I try actually always to delegate as much as possible and I'm okay with that, and that also comes with the fact that I said i'm I'm very kind of a very relaxed leader on some aspect um, and and uh, I think I've been the bottleneck probably. At the beginning of the, of the venture, mm. because I wanted to have a, a proper uh, agile process uh, with the GitLab, with sprints, uh, you know, with all the agile ceremonies, with the yeah. retrospective setups. and and it's, it's scientifically it's almost scientifically proven that agile doesn't work in small teams, right? Mm. So I think in that case for me pushing for processes that that what I, that was what I saw right in the in innovation labs of few banks, yeah. uh, and, and and you know. That, that moment, I think I was like uh, basically blind. And then I had to kind of, uh, kind of realign myself to all the other, other management techniques. But then now that we are 20, for example, night it works very well. And, and we are flying, actually. We, you know, the last six months, we got a new CTO, uh, we got a uh, you know, few tech leads and we are flying because they're also used to working in agile. I think the bottleneck sometimes comes also because uh, uh, you know, we, we don't understand which, which, which process or which step we are in, in terms of startups, you know, being a seed stage startup is something being a serious startup is something else. It, mm. It's a different job. It's not even like an evolution. So being a CEO of a five people company, it's one job being a CEO of a 20 people company is another job being a CEO of 500 people is another job. Probably i I will be not the right one probably when you have 500. So, you know, I need to acknowledge that and also recognize when you are the bottleneck, you know, you can just take another position in the company and that that's for example was um that's what our tech co-founder did uh mm. in a very smart way he acknowledged you know like, you know we need a cto that's more on the management side i don't like to do it i like to do more you know engineering and so it became cio so it takes all the internal infrastructure where the new cto that there's a lot of experience he comes from ebay he was working uh, in, in, in other big companies so he has managed, you know people uh, all his life like like the teams of under 20 people so he came. He came on board, and he actually brought uh, new management methodologies that we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I think it's a very. I mean, I, I, you know, it's very uh, difficult to acknowledge that you had a bottleneck, and you have to kind of find a solution for that. It's very, very difficult. I don't think that even I would be able to do it.
0: It is very difficult indeed. And and you identified like a, a like a, a common bottleneck symptom. Uh, when the company grows, your role as a CEO should should evolve. True, and if it, if it, if the role doesn't evolve, then your company will get will get stuck. That's, it. That's a That's about one. Um, I want to talk about your experience as a mentor uh, because, as I mentioned, you're a mentor in several in several organizations, and you're also a guest lecturer in different uh, in different organizations. Why are you a mentor?
1: I'm mentor because I've been on the other side of the table so many times. Um... Uh, kind of receiving advice and feedback and and i really love that kind of feedback loop to create that one for myself i always ask feedback everyone my mm-hmm. friends you know my partner my family my 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 co-workers uh, and then understand the value of that kind of having uh, someone that tells you what, what's available or asks you the right question so that actually it makes you think right and and, and so my way to kind of give back also, it's my way to network. Uh, you know, sometimes I end up investing in a startup that I mentor. Oh, it's a way to, to get to know people. Actually, my previous co-founder is in the other startup in Berlin, the one that I closed. Uh, I met her, uh, you know, in a, in a Google Accelerator. I was mentoring there, and she was actually in a combine, and she quit, and then she joined me. Um, so I think it's a way to give back, but also it's a way to network. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like sharing, you know, when, when I find something, uh, you know, interesting, like new methodology or something, I like to share it. So I think it's just, it's, for me, it's fun. I do it because, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the network. And then it's also, um, it's also about karma, right? I think just sharing, you know, at some point when you share stuff, they, they come back at some point in life. So I mean, it's just like, you know, in, in, the, in the era of internet, I think sharing is, is the best way to actually receiving.
0: So what's a big dream for your business? The
1: dream for the business is to help people uh, manage their funds people to, uh, to actually have a, a, a game, a little bit of game in this crazy financial world. Um, and uh, cryptocurrency already helps a lot in that because you can bank the unbanked. So people that cannot have a bank account, people that cannot transact, or people that don't can spend, cannot spend huge fees on, on payments, they can actually use already cryptocurrencies. But then our, our game here is to, to allow normal people to create automate, automated trading strategies, the same way big banks, big institution do at the moment. So for me, it's like uh, kind of helping more and more and more people to actually have a consciousness of their money, mm-hmm. understand what does it mean, creating value for themselves for their families, and also manage those, those, those funds in long term so they can actually bring uh, more, uh, more, 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 more good, good energy and good value for their own, or their, own, or their own community. right? I mean, the point is like there are all mechanisms in microeconomics, you know from inflation, to you know, the, the Fed printing money. Uh, there is like uh, you know, big big banks uh, uh, trading all sort of uh, product derivatives, future, um, CBD. So basically, it's like you know, it's a lot of stuff going on, and, and yeah. all the retail market, the ninety percent of the the, the the normal people, they don't have access to those. So I think mm-hmm. creating tools for them to join this this uh, this this game is actually it's very very important, and that's where we want to take the company. Uh, I mean, we have on the roadmap like tons of product and uh, and different features, you know, we're we're going to expand not just in automation, but also on stocks as well. We're going to expand on stocks on FX. So that's where I want to bring it. And obviously to do that, we need to increase uh, our revenues and we need to obviously also
0: grow our self management. Right. And it's also very complicated sometimes to understand the finance, the financial world or the FinTech. Yeah, but you
1: know what, I mean, I think, I think the, the, yeah, the, 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 it's not too complicated, to be honest. I mean, in, in our application, we, t- we try to use plain English language. Mm. We don't use the jargon. So even like a stop loss, that's like kind of a very uh, common concept in, in trading. We don't call it like that. You know, we right. call it like, you know, sell your coin, uh, you know, when the market is crashing so, so that you can say basically a loss. So we right. actually explain everything because all these concept, the, all those concepts are not rocket science. So also like we have some big funds using our app. And, you know, when they, talk, when they talk to us about their strategies, it's really not rocket science at all. They do accumulation, they do liquidation. So basically, they buy a little bit of the same coin, you know, day by day for a month because they don't want to manipulate the market or they liquidate the same coin. So it's like also the stuff they do at the end of the day, you see that? It's like, look, this is not really difficult. I can do that. So mm-hmm. you, just, you just need to give the, tool, the tools to the normal people. You know, I, I, usually an average person cannot really program in C++ or, or JavaScript. So if you give them a visual interface to do that, uh, they can do their own work, you know, fundamental analysis. They can understand a little bit what's going on and they can just play with the machine. That's what we do.
0: Now, Take all your experience that you have acquired as an entrepreneur and, you know, um, a white collar before that, what is the one practical recommendation that you would give to other entrepreneurs? I think the first
1: one is what I just said before, like build a sustainable business while uh, doing some good for society. That's the mm-hmm. first. And uh, really the stress here is a sustainable business like, to be like, you know, don't, burn, don't burn your money straight away after an investment, you know, be very, very careful. Then uh, a company means a group of people together, right? so the first step is actually create what everyone called culture so culture is such like an abstract word but it's basically have a good time have a good time building the company no laugh smile no create there's a difference in creating a company and creating a community and the the, the answer is in between those two right so a company is super performative you know everyone is a robot everyone kind of works 20 hours a day just like crashes all the goals but then on the other side you have the community and one that wants to be together and one wants to have fun together and one that respects each other and one that shares the same value. Now, if you have too much of community, you end up not doing it. you end up not doing any job, right? Any work. You just like you just hang out on the, on the beach and go surfing. Yeah. Like like we like, <laughs> like, like we do during our retreats, like what the retreat is every four months. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other side, you have a company that, you know, if you do that too much, then you end up being depressed and demotivated, right? Mm. So I think the right answer is, is in between and understanding how to kind of add, add the value on those two polars is very important. So, for example, in our case, we are a fully remote company. Even before COVID, we were like that. Right. And uh, we meet every four months, someone in Europe all together for a week. So we have mm. the every four months, we know that we are going to spend some quality time with each other. And during this week, you know, probably half of the time we actually speak, we do surfing, we go, we do activities, and half of the time we actually we actually work together. And, up, and then we end up working for like 20 hours a day because we're so excited about all the ideas that come up. Uh, and in this retreat, we also ask the, the people to bring their significant other so that, you know, we also, they can join with the family, with the kids. And it's, it's amazing because you really create that sense of, of, of togetherness, mm. of belonging. And that's amazing. And you can t- totally see after this, this, this moment, uh, community moment, uh, how the team really works much better, better together and actually perform in, in a way that you wouldn't expect. So that's why we have this cadence of, of, of retreats. Um, so, and also we do another exercise that's called uh, the tribe. So mm-hmm. it's basically we divide the company in a group of three, four people. Mm-hmm. And and we have uh, one hour, we go in separate places, like, you know, we go on a mountain, on, you know, we are like, uh, when we go to the retreat, we go in different spots. And we for, we just open up our hearts. So we are basically everything you say in the, in the tribe is confidential. Yeah. And and it says with these four people. And you can share whatever worries you in life, personal, professional, anything. And that knowledge stays in, in the tribe. And then you meet again after four months. So you, you meet this tribe that kind of helps you also on a personal level. Uh, I, I think those type of um, those type of, of of ceremonies or rituals in in a community really help creating like what can become a company. Uh, and I think that that's what I recommend entrepreneurs do. Like, you know, start, first of all, start with, we obviously with the, with the, a problem that you see in society. Don't start with just an idea. I mean, if it's an idea, try to validate it as soon as possible with different technique, but then start also even with one, two, three people to create that, that sense of community or culture. because that will drive, because if you think, if you think about the beginning of startups really like, uh, like a, a shitty life like you know you need to ask people <laughs> to work for you for yeah. free yeah. i mean and, and i can totally see some people are not really able to do that so when i see that i really I, you know i really tell people like to just like don't do it it's you not know, just like to find a proper job somewhere else because mm-hmm. if you're not able to really ask people to work for free for you from day one and sell the vision i'm not sure you will be able to push through the, all the fundraises and all the difficulties on startup. So that's a good, a good signal to understand if someone can be an entrepreneur or not. Can you make other people kind of passionate by your project, you know, work a little bit for free, you know, kind of join your company in exchange of equities instead of like, you know, cash because everyone wants cash. So that's that's a big signal. And so I would say that's something that you should do at the beginning. So this so to recap, this one. Then we said about uh, building a tribe, culture, mm-hmm. and also doing good for society. I think those are the three elements that are really, really important at the beginning.
0: Very wise remarks. Thank you. Thank you very much for those. The last question, how can people contact you? Uh, gab at coinrule.com, uh, G-A-B
1: at coinrule.com, uh, or you go on Twitter, I'm called Fresh Muse. My last name is Musela, so it's Fresh Muse, M-U-S-E. So yeah, you can contact me, I'll usually reply.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Gab, for your time today. Thank you, Laurent. Thank you. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any. See you next time. And don't forget, don't be the bottleneck in your business. Bye for now.